Welcome to Kessler Foundation's 2017 Traumatic Brain Injury Consumer Conference, Moving Forward, Overcoming Obstacles and Improving Quality of Life. This conference is hosted by the Northern New Jersey Traumatic Brain Injury System, a collaborative effort of Kessler Foundation, Kessler Institute for Rehabilitation, and Rutgers, the State University of New Jersey. The Northern New Jersey Traumatic Brain Injury System is funded by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, National Institute of Disability, Independent Living, and Rehabilitation Research. Grant number H133A120030. This podcast was created and produced by Joan Bank Smith, creative producer for Kessler Foundation, on Friday, September 29th, at the Kessler Institute for Rehabilitation Conference Center in West Orange, New Jersey. Our first speaker, Tom Grady, presented Persuasion, a Cornerstone of Effective Advocacy. Tom Grady currently serves as the Director of Advocacy and Public Affairs for the Brain Injury Alliance of New Jersey. In his role as Director, Tom is a staff liaison to the Council for the Head Injured Community. One of the Alliance's advocacy committees whose mission is to champion and publicize the advocacy, rights, and needs of people who have survived a brain injury. Let's listen in. Good morning, everybody. Almost afternoon, almost lunchtime. It's, uh, it's an honor to be here. And I'm Tom Grady. I'm the Director of Advocacy and Public Affairs for the Brain Injury Alliance of New Jersey. And it's a position I've held since uh, October 2002. So uh, back then, my hair was a lot browner, and I was a few pounds lighter. So. Um, that's a joke. You have to laugh, please. Yeah, thank you. Very good. During my time as Director of Advocacy and Public Affairs, I've, one of my core jobs is to advocate and lobby lawmakers at the state and federal level, mostly at the, um, at the state level. And <clears throat> during that time, excuse me, we've had a few successes. And uh, one of the ones I'm most proud of is that we added slots to what's called the former traumatic brain injury Medicaid waiver. I think some of you may um, be familiar with that. And um, another one, oh, thank you, Joe. All these flash bulbs going off, I think I'm famous or something. Well, I will be having a signing outside afterwards. Um, so another one of my of our accomplishments was having New Jersey become the first state in the nation to require youth to wear ski helmets when skiing. Another accomplishment was the creation of, of, of a concussion management law back in 2010. There's a few other ones, but the point here is during each of those projects, I had to have one particular skill. Well, several skills, but one very important skill, and that was persuasion. So what I've come to learn is that persuasion can be used in a lot of different, different ways, not just advocating a certain public policy before lawmakers, but also for all of you, if you're trying to advocate for more services, advocate for, uh, for another particular interest. So I figured at some point in the past, at some point in the past I figured why not create a presentation on this. And this the presentation I'm about to show you is, is one I did, I guess a couple of years ago at our annual seminar. And the idea is I hope you take something from this, give you some basic knowledge on how you can communicate a persuasive message for your usage. You know, whether or not you want to advocate for a certain public policy, whether or not you want to try and get a new service, for yourself or a loved one, etc. So with that said, I do have one technical question, clicker. Is there a clicker? 
Oh, here we go. As you can tell, I did not learn this in, in graduate school. The, uh, the one thing I think to, uh, to keep in mind through this presentation is just try and read this very quickly. Not very quickly, just take a minute to have this soak in. It's kind of what the focus of the presentation is, the evaluation of a, of a successful persuader. And I think when you're trying to determine whether or not you're, you're successful, you have to ask yourself one question. Is a person to be persuaded, whether it's a lawmaker, uh, insurance company, what have you, thinking and or acting in a way the persuader, the persuader you wants them to think and or act? So just kind of let that soak in for, for a couple seconds. Don't memorize it, but it's going to be a kind of a theme as we work through this, this presentation. Okay, the objectives. We have uh, four objectives of this, of this presentation, which is a relatively short presentation. Uh, for starters, we want to simply define persuasion. I mean, how, how else can you learn about something if you don't know what it is? The second one, to know types of situations when persuasion can and should be used. And the third one, as you'll see, it's in boldface, to learn how to structure a persuasive message. And I think a lot of us, whether or not you're impacted by brain injury or not, has so much information up here and to try and boil it down to a simple cohesive message can be difficult. My wife tells me all the time that you know, sometimes you babble. Well, that's true, but I have so much going on up here. Plus, I'm Irish, so us Irish people like to really talk a lot, let me tell you. We just never, we go through the races, let me tell you. But in order to be a, per a persuasive communicator, I think you need to be able to con concisely and succinctly state what it is you're advocating for. And that's kind of focused right here. It's in boldface font for emphasis. And lastly, to understand why the ability to tell your story related to brain injury is important. And I think uh, what I will say about this last objective is I think the keynote speaker did a phenomenal job telling his story. I don't think he's here at the moment, but uh, no, it's one heck of a story. And I think if everybody here has a story related to brain injury, I think using a story, your story, can be effective when, effective when you're advocating. When uh, the definition of persuasion, so let's launch right into the presentation here. There's three definitions here. I cheated, I used the dictionary, and not the online one, the big, thick one that has like a thousand words in it. There's several definitions here. Uh, one, as you can see, is to prevail on a person to do something, as by advising or urging. For example, we, we could not persuade him to wait. Another one is to induce to believe by appealing to reason or understanding, convince to persuade the judge of the prisoner's innocence. And finally, this one's in bold face font, and this should really sound familiar at this point in time, to have someone to think, have someone think and or act in a way one wants them to think and or act. Does that sound familiar? Right, a couple slides ago, right? It wasn't, wasn't that long ago, but his definition, I think, really hits the gist of, of persuasion. Okay, when's persuasion used? Well, it's used by, by Kessler. Each of you was persuaded to come here. They had a valuable service. They wanted to communicate and entice people to come and visit, which they have certainly succeeded. I counted about 
75 people right now. So Kessel used persuasion to get you all here. Um, I had to use it to persuade Kessler to let me speak here. And it's an honor to be here speaking. It's an honor to be here at the invitation of Kessler, a very well, well thought of institution. By advocates, meaning everybody here, anybody who's impacted by brain injury can be an advocate. When acting their elected officials to take a certain position on a certain public policy or advocacy issue. And there's, there's a lot of them going on, as you may be aware. And then conversely, by elected officials. You know, elected officials have to persuade you for your vote, which um, we won't get into politics, but obviously there's a lot of um, hard views on both sides. And people, lawmakers and policymakers, need to persuade the voters that they're the best person for office. It works both ways. So does anybody, uh, show of hands, does anybody have any ideas where other examples of persuasion could be used? Rose. There you go. On a more, I guess, clinical level would be over yeah. guess. Right. On a clinical basis, patient, and you're trying to motivate them, you're trying to persuade them. Absolutely. So we're going off the policy aspect of things and more of the, the um, human mm -hmm. development progress perspective. Anybody else? Thank you, Rose. Joe. There you go. I think I'm a little familiar with that, right? To help uh, get on SSDI. Yeah. And uh, thank you, Joe. I know. Uh, we worked on that together. Senator Booker, okay. So Joe here has is an example of um, advocating for for a lawmaker and getting getting what he wants. And one more, Mike. One that just occurred uh, <coughs> during Mike at the mic. I had to persuade the audience to ask questions. There you go. Yeah. So we're. Uh, it, all the chick people here are really thinking outside the box. I'm, I'm talking public policy. They're talking about stuff that's very. Um, Mary, one more back there. Uh, in work situations where you can ask for a raise, persuade mm -hmm. your boss of your Absolutely. I think I'll do that when I get back to the office on Monday. So thank you. I will start preparing my argument right now. And one more back there, all the way back there. I'm sorry. Oh, there you go. Absolutely. No question about it. I mean, uh, I can't tell you what I had to do to persuade my wife to marry me. Um, and she still did it. So uh, very fortunate. But thank you. Absolutely right. Dating is a lot like uh, lobbying, I guess you can say. And I haven't been in that world in a long while. And if I am, I'm in trouble when I go home. There you go. Absolutely. So there's a lot of different, that ties into relationships, right, with, um, with uh, what Chick did before, the mic, the mic presentation. But thank you. Okay. Now, when we talk about structuring a persuasive message, I'll delve into this a little bit deeper in the next few slides. Um, some of the uh, ideas to, um, to keep in mind is to begin with the end in mind. And I will repeat this phrase a couple more times as we, as we move forward. You know, know what you want to accomplish, know what you want to achieve, know what end you want to end up at. And then three, this is, I think, a key principle right here, next, next two of my, I should say. Three sections, the opening, the body, and the conclusion. Just keep that in mind in terms of structuring your message. And three to five points within 
the, the body of your persuasive message. And one thing I may want to add with regard to that at this point is um, reason three is a good number. You don't want to go less than three because you run the risk of not being thorough with what you're asking for, asking what, you're, uh, what you want. And if you go beyond five, you may run the risk of, of rambling. So three to five, to my mind, is a good middle ground of how many main points you want to make to support what you're advocating for. And by the way, I'm keeping this presentation as very general as possible because everybody here has different, different um, advocacy needs. What I think in terms of advocacy is different from what Joe thinks and Rose thinks and Richard and, and Mike. So, uh, Rose, you have a question? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And it kind of becomes your lifelong challenge in health advocacy with No doubt. You know, I, I can't imagine, as a side note, um, dealing with some of the, ins the insurance issues that we deal with, um, whether, or not, whether or not you have a brain injury. I mean, this stuff is confusing sometimes. And, and sometimes, you know, when you're trying to advocate for certain something, you know, to my mind, you get the, get the runaround sometimes. So then I like to be heard. I try to be diplomatic, but sometimes you've got to be very, very assertive and um, not aggressive, but very assertive. But thanks for your, thanks for your point, Rose. Appreciate that. Okay, so um, yes, and then under the three to five points, you want to kind of fill in the gaps, if you will, kind of provide a little detail for the main points, but not don't go overboard. But you want to have maybe a couple sub points within the one of the main points. I don't want to get too confusing here, but you want to just add a little meat to, to, the, to the statement there. And lastly, you want to reinforce and summarize the ideas, you know, maybe using a, a challenge, uh, a question to get people thinking, a story or, or an anecdote, or same thing, I guess it is. But um, I find stories to be a very, very effective way to make your argument. You got to have the logic, I think, to the facts, the figures, statistics, or what have you. But again, stories are extremely, extremely powerful, can be extremely powerful. Okay, so I want to touch on a couple of um, other, other principles here. Um, anybody here a Boy Scout ever been, not, everybody here is too old to be a Boy Scout, I think. Anybody here, has, has anybody here ever been a Boy Scout? Mike, uh, I'm sorry, your name? Paul. Paul, good to meet you. Anybody, anybody know what the uh, Boy Scout motto is? Wow, even the non-Boy Scouts know that one. Oh, there you go, there you go. So, uh, so that same. I never, I never became an Eagle Scout, which is a regret to this day. And uh, I think I'm a little too old to go back and get that. But anyhow, that's beside the point. But be prepared is a key. It's the Boy Scout motto, and that is a principle that must be must be uh, respected when you're preparing for a persuasive communication. Know as much as you possibly can. You may not use all of it. But have the information on hand in case a question gets posed to you, in case a situation presents itself where you can give a, um, a good piece of information. And the next phrase, persuading intelligence, that's something I made up. It's a phrase I, I coined, um, at least I think I have. Uh, the idea is to learn as much about the person you're trying to persuade as possible. 
And as I mentioned, um, I deal a lot with lawmakers, and it's a large part of my job. And doing some research on their background helps out a lot. Uh, for example, I know one lawmaker whose, uh, whose child has severe concussion, and she has ramifications from that. I know of another lawmaker whose wife used to work in, in a rehab facility, and yet another one whose wife is a nurse, still is a nurse. Uh, another one uh, sponsored what's called a TBI fund law, which I think some of you may be familiar with. The idea here is that if you do a little bit of intelligence, a little bit of intelligence gathering and research on a person, a lawmaker, or anybody else for that matter, if you can, it does give you, I think, a certain degree of comfort and confidence to go in there and, um, and make it, it, uh, it makes it a little bit easier, I think, not easy, but easier to get your advocacy need met. And then this is also sound familiar, the next one. Begin with the end in mind, right? When you go to your meeting, stay up front. Uh, this is what I'm looking for. Um, don't beat around the bush. Uh, example, I was uh, on the phone with a reporter a couple of days ago on some issue. And for the first, I think, three or four minutes, I couldn't figure out what she was seeking. And um, I'm not saying, you know, call up and say, I want this. Obviously, you've got to have a couple sentences to kind of break the ice. But after three or four minutes, you probably should get right to the main point of what you're asking for. So I would, again, keep your end in mind at all times. Even if you get sidetracked on a conversation, knowing what your bottom line is will keep you structured, will keep you focused, it probably will keep you relaxed too. And as a result, you probably have a greater chance of success in your advocacy request. Uh, sincerity and truthfulness builds trust. Uh, I mean, don't lie, that's what it comes right down to. Um, in any, any way, shape, or form. I grew up in a police household. I couldn't get away with anything. And so I just learned a long time ago, it was a lot easier to be straightforward and honest because if you're living in a police household, they're gonna ask you a thousand questions and you can't get out of it. So um, I've learned to be very forthright and very blunt and it keeps life simple. And, and frankly, just it's the right thing to do. I can remember going back to a situation I was talking with, with a lawmaker I had mentioned T-Bay waiver earlier. I was talking to this lawmaker who, um, who was the head of the budget committee, one of the budget committees, and I was advocating for this particular issue. He asked me a question, and I gave him an answer. You know, a couple minutes goes by. He asked me the same question, but in a different way. I'm like, okay, he must have forgot, so I told him again. A few minutes goes by. He asked me yet the same question a third time. I'm thinking to myself, what's the matter with this guy, you know? That dawns on me a little while later. He's trying to trip me up, see if I'm being consistent, which may be a little sneaky, but you want to figure out whether or not a person's lying to you. So if you're truthful and honest, you don't have a problem. It's not to say you can't remember everything. You may, they may ask you a question, you have no idea how to answer it. You may not have the, the, the thinking behind it, but I'm talking about outwardly, just not telling the truth. Always be truthful. People will respect that and, and like it. And as a result, it will make your advocacy ask a lot easier and then you know lastly here the impact of brain injury I mean tell how, how brain injury impacts your life I mean that's the story I mean that's um, that's a key story using the, uh, the key thing 
using the TBI waiver example again, I can remember testifying before a different budget committee. And um, during that point in time, I used a, uh, the, the stats, the figures, etc. I also had um, a father and daughter come in to, uh, to speak. <clears throat> and uh, they took care of the story part of it, the emotional part of it. And I can tell you one thing right now, those lawmakers were, were transfixed on these people, much more so than me. Not to undermine the importance of adding facts and statistics to your, to the, your argument, but again, stories really do help you out when you're making an ask, as long as it really pertains to the issue at hand. Any questions at this point in time? Anything uh, anybody want to add? Don't be shy. I'm trying to persuade you to ask a question. <laughs> uh, more, just raise your hand if you have anything come up, please. Okay, a little bit in telling your story. Um, the first two are pretty, we pretty much say the same thing, if you can. I mean, I know it's probably very difficult uh, to do this when you're um, in the midst of a brain injury and, and dealing with the craziness and what's going on with it and so forth. But trying to keep a diary of what, what's going on in your life um, could help you out down the road when you're making a request for something. Um, people forget things. You know, again, whether or not you have a brain injury. You know, my wife asked me to do something, I vacuum. I forget sometimes. I, I think it's selective, quite honestly. But um, things you just forget. And um, it's important to note milestones and challenges and um, things that you think can help you tell the best story you can. Uh, and remember, that people don't know much about brain injury unless they are impacted by it. You know, who would have, I don't think anybody here would have known much about brain injury until they were, you know, it became very personal. Yes? Keep a journal. Right. That's right. And um, I'm so, I, absolutely correct. A journal, diary. I guess the idea is you record what you um, what you do. Yep. And for another example, when I came on the Brain Alliance back in 2002, I jotted down everything I did. Still do. Well, mostly everything. Um, mainly because I have to justify my job. I'm saying that because there's three board members in the audience. But uh, but all kidding aside, though, you know, I realized a long time ago you need to be able to present your own case in terms of, of, of employment. You gotta say, hey, I'm a valuable asset here, here's what I'm doing, and you gotta make your case for yourself in the workplace or dating, whatever the case may be. Okay, um, next to persuasion, I think being an educator is also very, very important. Um, telling your story, communicating facts and figures and so forth, it all comes down to being able to educate or you find an advocate to help you educate, educate another person. Um, so education and persuasion, or education will help you become a much better persuader. Your story may be the one that you, the person needs to hear. I mean, I, I go back to that uh, the TBA waiver example, that budget committee hearing one time when uh, these lawmakers are transfixed on this person, or think about the keynote speaker today. 
I mean, he did a great, great job. And um, I think stories, again, really pull the person in. Okay, this, I'm beating a dead horse here, but I think it's very important. Now, this is more of the, the crux of what I want you to really take out of this, this presentation. Um, when developing your persuasive communication, um, begin with the end in mind. And I, I can get these, these, uh, this presentation to you if you want. So try, you know, I don't have to write down all these notes. If you want, I'd be happy to email it to you. Um, step one, begin with the end in mind. Um, define the problem, concern, or interest that is of importance to you. And again, that's different for everybody. You know, what I think is important or what's a problem for me is different from what is you and you and anybody else. And know what you want to accomplish and why. I mean, using, you know, therapies, for example. Um, you want to get a therapy to make your significant other um, better. You, or uh, just know what you want to accomplish and why. Uh, define the message, idea, or point you want to communicate. Do it as a one-liner. You know, bottom line, I want A, B, and C. Right? Get, helps you get right to the point. Step two, you develop your body. Now, remember what I said before, you want to develop three to five uh, main points um, in the context of your main message. And again, no less than three, because you may run the risk of uh, not telling the full story. And don't go beyond five, because you may run the risk of, of rambling. There's a question that need to be asked, are going to be asked. So I wouldn't go more beyond that. And then you can support each of the main points with definitions, descriptions, explanations, examples, facts, statistics, authorities, authorities meaning credible witnesses, uh, testimony, and again, stories and anecdotes, and visual aids. Visual aids can also be a very powerful, powerful tool as you advocate. And once you have all these ideas together, then you can logically assemble them and rehearse it and, and work it until you feel comfortable communicating it. Step three, you may think the opening comes first, but it really doesn't. It comes, I think, after you've got your, the meat of your presentation done. You create your opening or your introduction. Uh, you, catch your, you can catch the audience's attention by saying something humorous, something interesting, asking a question, telling a story. I think the idea, or, develop, or displaying a picture or an object. You know, something that gets the people focused on your presentation, focused on you, can be help, helpful in um, really setting the stage for them to listen to you, and as a result, having you be a successful uh, persuader, as per the first slide I showed you here before. In the introduction, state your objectives. You may recall that I had four main objectives when I first started this presentation. I kind of said a few things beforehand, but I got right to the point here are the objectives that I'm trying to achieve for all of us here today. Again, reiterating this once again, state your main message or focal point right from the get-go so it keeps people focused, keeps people interested, and makes you, gives you greater chances of success. And lastly, step four, you polish the conclusion and the end. After you talk, it's good to reinforce a few main points, you know, you say your main point, you say your reasons why you need it, and maybe touch upon that story again. The idea is kind of wrap up everything you've said in the previous, you know, meeting a lot of, a lot of meeting time, to kind of summarize it. And most importantly, you close with a memorable statement, such as a challenge, a question, story, or a quotation. But I think really it's a call, you should really use a call to action. 
They'll close with saying, this is what I want, this is why I think it's important, and this is what you can do to help us out, and I hope you do. And with that said, I hope you all had a good presentation experience here. Any questions um, before, I, before I go? If you do have, if you want to talk about anything, but yes. Well, I think it depends on what your situation is. Um, if you uh, try, well, for example, if if I'm going to a lawmaker who sits on the the Assembly Health Committee or Assembly Human Services Committee, I know this person is. I want to ask this person to become a sponsor, a co-sponsor of a bill. And this, this particular person is also chair of the committee that would consider that bill. I would say, hey, please register as a co-sponsor because your advocacy of this particular bill will help, um, help us get what we want to get done done. Why? Because you are chair of this committee and you can move the bill forward. Does that make any sense? I'm just trying to use an example. I'm not understanding, I'm sorry. We need your help to, uh, and then did you say why you need the help? Absolutely, absolutely. Say why you need the help, and, and I guess particularly how you can help. You know, you can help by A, B, and C. And, um, and actually, you probably want to think that through before you even get to that point, because if the person you're trying to meet or persuade can't help you, there's probably not much sense in meeting with that person to begin with, or at least not making the top priority. You know, for you know, certain lawmakers have more power in the legislature, for example, um, in comparison to other lawmakers. Doesn't mean the lawmakers are inferior or anything, but they're just lower on the priority list because you want to hit the, the top ones first, who, who can make things happen. So it's about prioritizing. Would you use the word help, or that doesn't mean a big position? No, I think help is fine. It depends on what you're asking for. Are there other words that you like? Assistance, support. Support's a good one. Support's a good one. But I think uh, any of those words we use, but I wouldn't get too wrapped up in that. I think the main point is to be able to direct home what it is you want, uh, why it's important, and how that person can help you. And ask them what, we, what to do exactly. For more information about rehabilitation research at Kessler Foundation, go to www.kesslerfoundation.org. That's www.kesslerfoundation.org.